I think we all know the pedigree of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology when it comes to bird resources, and we at the ABA are excited to partner with the Cornell Lab of O to offer an amazing deal exclusive to ABA members. ABA members can now get a 15% discount to any new subscription to Cornell's amazing new Birds of the World resource that is applicable for three years. Birds of the World is a powerful resource that brings deep scholarly content from four celebrated works of ornithology into a single platform where birders can answer all their life history questions for every species of bird they could want. It is extraordinary. You can get more information at birdsoftheworld.org. Welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am Nate Swick. I am the host of this program. I'm glad you're here. Last week, I teased some exciting news regarding the 2023 Bird of the Year. No, you're not shortchanging the spectacular burrowing owl. It still holds the title for four more months, but we do want to start thinking about next year because we have an artist to choose and a magazine cover to design and a party to plan and all that stuff. And that sort of stuff is the stuff that I have to share with you. We have an artist. It is Liz Clayton Fuller. She has already been on the podcast. You might remember when I chatted with her about bird streaming with Ian Davies and Dr. WD40. That was a fun conversation about introducing birding to new communities through new technologies. Um, Funnily enough, I did not know that we were looking at her for the next Bird of the Year artist when I booked her for that interview. So imagine my surprise when I found out a couple weeks later that she had already been asked and already accepted. Anyway, I'm looking forward to chatting with her again about her work in the new year. She has promised not to put a little cowboy hat on our Bird of the Year art, unless that is something that y'all want. Maybe it'll be a special print run. I don't know. Stuff to think about down the road. Liz lives in Nashville, which means that we are heading to Nash Vegas in December for a birding weekend slash Bird of the Year reveal party. Tickets will be available soon. We'll be sure to let you know. That will be the 10th of December. Put it on your calendars. A little bit earlier than usual, We didn't want to interfere with local Christmas bird counts. One of the issues with last year is that we held the event in Philadelphia, but we booked it on the same day as the Cape May Christmas bird count, which pulled a lot of potential guests from our party to the Christmas bird count. Understandably so. We won't hold a grudge or anything, but we're trying to avoid that this time. Anyway, it'll be fun. If you're interested in joining us, we'll keep you posted. I would love to have some Central Tennessee listeners there to enjoy some birding, some community, and some music. I've heard that that is a thing there. Who knew? But that's in the winter. Let's talk fall. Fall is here on the show today. I welcome some ABA colleagues to talk about it. We talk fall birding strategies, challenges, and appreciation. They've both been on the show before. It's Amy Davis. It's Greg Neese. It's fall birding all after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the end of August 2022. What is the deal with Maine and rare raptors. First, the great black hawk, now immortalized in bronze in Portland, then a visit from the stellar sea eagle, currently in Newfoundland. And now, what is potentially the ABA's first record of Eurasian marsh harrier seen and photographed well this week in Knox County on Maine's central coast? Eurasian marsh harrier, which is slightly larger and more distinctly marked than our familiar northern harrier, has always been a good candidate for transatlantic vagrancy. It is one of mainland Europe's most common raptors. There are several reports from Iceland, one from Bermuda, and even a few in the Caribbean from Puerto Rico, Barbados, and Guadeloupe. Interestingly, this might not be the first ABA area record. There is a very thorough site record from eastern Virginia from 1994, 
that was approved by the state committee but not considered by the ABA checklist committee of the time because of, as best as I can tell, birding politics. Take that however you want. In any case, this main record was photographed, seen by many, and cannot be denied by whatever institutional shenanigans one might put in its way. Other birds of note for the period include a Baikal teal on St. Paul Island, Alaska, the first in many decades, and continuing records of Limpkin from states that only documented their first earlier this year. Kansas is now on its seventh, Missouri its eighth, and Wisconsin its third. Those are the highlights of the week, but for a full accounting, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash rba. You can also follow along with all the Rare Bird news in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook. It is the first week of September. Fall is here, officially, meteorologically, certainly ornithologically. It's a wonderful season for birding and general naturing, but it does require a certain mindset. And there are difficulties, strategies one might take into account. And who better to do that with me than a pair of my ABA colleagues? Uh, Greg Neese is the ABA master of the web and my partner for the bi-weekly What's This Bird live web stream that we do. Check out the ABA social medias for that. And Amy Davis is the associate editor of the ABA's North American Birds Journal. They're both accomplished and experienced birders of the autumnal season. Legends of the fall, if you will. (laughs) <laughs> how are you guys doing great thanks for having me back nate and Absolutely. greg it'll be awesome to talk to you about birds rather than an it problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah <laughs> uh yeah let's get into it yeah let's get into it let's chop it up let's talk some fall birding I feel weird talking about fall birding in September. I guess it's, you know, the sort of the beginning, the peak, I guess, of passerine migration, what we think about when we think about fall. It's when the sparrows come through. It's when the warblers come through. It's when maybe the finches come through. They start showing hints of what we might see into the winter. But really, fall has been going on for about six weeks, maybe two months now. Um, You know, fall is the longest birding season. It lasts, honestly, you could say, since the ducks don't always get into position until the beginning of the in the beginning of the new year, fall lasts like seven months. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely hearing uh, migrant shorebirds in the very beginning of July, and maybe yeah. some of them were failed breeders. But as I was doing uh, nocturnal marsh bird surveys, I started hearing them. Uh, you don't have to wait until it's sweater weather to enjoy fall migration for sure it starts in mid-july in mid-july definitely yeah. not sweater leather better weather across most of the northern hemisphere absolutely i mean uh, but one of my favorite things about fall birding is a lack of mosquitoes so <laughs> you can you can if you, if you tend to like the latter part of the fall that's right uh there's there's some good things there for you but yeah, I'm definitely waiting for the green heads to dissipate. That hasn't happened yet. <laughs> It'll be the first cold front. There you go. That's the first. That's the first official fun exactly. part of fall birding. There's a certain grind that comes along with heading out to the local mudflats and uh, panning the mudflats for those those shorebirds. Uh, at least where I come from, um, yeah, it's it's can be rewarding, but it's frequently very very hot and buggy. Yeah, definitely. we've had a we've had an interesting fall here so far. I mean, it's been very birdy. Um, we got a first state record uh, of painted red start last week, which was really unexpected. And I, I just saw something, somebody posted some stats from eBird where the counts of Cape May warblers 
so far is off the charts high. Oh, really? Wow. And and like two weeks or so early. Huh. Must be a good Spruce Budworm year. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you get to one of the great things about fall birding, Greg, and that's the potential for vagrants. I mean, fall cannot be beat in terms no. of looking for for birds that are turning up out of their out of their range. Part of that Definitely. is because, you know, most vagrant birds tend to be young birds, tend to be naive migrators who don't really know where they're going. And so they'll end up in weird places. We don't, first of all, there's a lot we don't know about migration. For period. sure. And we don't. I don't think know a whole lot about the mechanics of this, but some of them are going to have a physiological anomaly that's going to cause them to head in the opposite or mirror direction. Some screwy direction. Yeah. The rest of their, you know, species. And that's why we can get such amazing birds uh, in the fall. How do you go about looking for rare birds in the fall if that's a if that's a target do you go out specifically looking for them are there certain weather conditions that you're looking for i guess it depends on the bird and depends on the on the species but you know and the location yeah right there you go when i'm thinking of misorientation which Mm -hmm. is what we call it not instead of disorientation which tends to be associated with weather events Mm -hmm. uh, weather events misorientation when a bird Mm -hmm. heads the wrong direction um, one that I think of is one that I got to observe in the uh, fall and winter of 2020. And this bird first showed up in November, um, a hummingbird. And the homeowner first noticed it in November. And I got to, I came and scattered it for our uh, wonderful hummingbird bander here in New Jersey, David Lapuma. Um, and this bird turned out to be a calliope hummingbird, which, uh, you know, should have been headed down to southwestern Mexico. Yeah. I but headed right. in the, yeah. I guess, mirror no, image yeah, direction. Yeah, 90, 90 degrees or something. Yeah. Ended up in Ocean County, New Jersey. Yeah. And uh, stayed, attended that feeder all winter, stayed until the spring. Um, and one thing that I think a lot of birders tend to assume that birds that turn up far out of range might be doomed you know Mm -hmm. we there's always it can be it can feel a little bittersweet there can be a little bit bit of a twinge because you worry about how that bird is going to survive the winter um that bird was actually refound again in the spring in western maryland but it was banded recaptured and banded and so not all of these birds you know we used to kind of assume that they weren't you know that the odds might be a little grim for survival when you end up in the completely wrong place but some of them banding in from banning data has showed that they, some of them at least survive. Yeah. That's and a it's good, pretty that's amazing. A point. It, yeah. it was, it was just so incredible, like really heartwarming kind of story. <laughs> you, need those. you know, and, and thinking about the, the dynamics of vagrants that are going the opposite direction. All right. So the, 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 the thing that first came to mind was small build Elenia mm-hmm. and the first record was found in Chicago. The first ABA area record was found in Chicago in April. And there's since been two other records, one in Chicago in November that stayed for a month. Mm -hmm. And then another one in October that was the same year, uh, which was uh, last year, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about it in our rare bird, (laughs) a rare bird uh, roundup, Amy. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's just, it's really, um, 
it, it's it's really strange how uh, the time of year when these birds are they're austral migrants, so they are my. It is is technically speaking a fall migrant because it showed up in the spring in the northern hemisphere. It's a fall fall migrating southern hemisphere yeah. bird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's with with birds like all right, like fork-tailed flycatcher, which is another mm-hmm. austral migrant that we get up up in the Great Lakes and all over the east. A, a classic example of a re- reverse mor- misorientation when it turns up in the northeast. Yeah, absolutely, least. one of the best. Exactly, yeah. and they all they almost always happen at the same time and are often associated with. Um, eastern kingbirds, mm-hmm. you know, and like when that when that big push of eastern kingbirds comes up, check them all because you know, and that happened this spring. We had eastern kingbirds everywhere, and somebody found a fork-tailed flycatcher, yeah, um, near the Wisconsin border. But you don't, you don't, uh, at least anecdotally, off the top of my head, I think the spring records outnumber the fall records m- much more. Yeah, in terms species. of of this species, or just in, in general, just. No, just the species. Just the species, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, November, uh, fall fall vagrants uh, in the east, at least, for, for mm-hmm. me and, and for Amy, well, for all three of us. Yeah. You know, I think of western vagrants, yeah. um, young birds, you know, we're looking for things like brewers, sparrows, and green-tailed towhees, yep. and, um, you know, who knows what. Ash-throated flycatcher, one of the Elf, classic like, Exactly, fall, western fall. flycatchers. Fall migrants, yeah, fall vagrants. Yeah, western tanager. There's a, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, uh, I was just thinking of, too, some southern birds that, well, there's one in particular that I'm hoping for. Is it Limpkin? Can you guess what it might be? <laughs> limpkin. Yeah, limpkin. it's got to be really, Limpkin. I really want New Jersey Limpkin. I mean, and of course, this is a whole different type of um, out-of-range occurrence, right, mm-hmm. than what we had been yeah, discussing. Yeah, a little different phenomenon, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, I guess you would call them, you could call them colonizers or, you know, after a really successful breeding season. And this is something that we got to enjoy too last summer with the roseate spoonbills. And yep, then absolutely. Um, there were to wood, wood storks to a lesser extent, um, even cattle egrets, which are interesting in November, at least where I live. Right? As, as you suggested, we all have sort of an East Coast bias. I do think the definitely, Western, definitely. the Western... Uh, vagrancy situation is also fascinating because they tend to get birds from even from most most vagrants because of in the northern hemisphere come from west to east because that's the predominant direction of the winds and, right. and these birds that are already misoriented tend to kind of just go with the flow as it is and end up in weird places now on the west coast that means they get all sorts of really cool things like a brown shrike uh, vagrant shorebirds from east asia like roof redneck stent and little stent uh, and, and, you know, any number of really amazing long distance East Asian vagrants that have turned up on the West Coast over dusky the years. Warbler. Dusky Red warbler. Dusky warbler. <laughs> Siberian ruby throat. Uh, all sorts of really cool stuff that have ended up in, um, you know, in the Alaska and South all along the Pacific Coast. So this phenomenon happens. It's maybe a little more exciting in the West and from a continental scale. But uh, we do see it in the East with with all sort of our regular our regular vagrants, like we've already discussed, and the hummingbirds, obviously, of course. Well, I think um, uh, I, I'm not as familiar with West Coast vagrants as I really ought to be as one of the people. It's a who different works thing. On North it's American the, the, birds. The, the landscape lot, but... makes makes things kind of screwy. It's easier here because it's flat <laughs> in the East. In the West, they get altitudinal vagrancy and all sorts of things. They do, but they, I mean, the, the 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 Southern California coast gets a lot of Eastern vagrants, especially yeah. warblers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, do you know the phenomenon for that? It's just 
I think it's a lot. I think it's a really similar thing that's happening um, in terms of, uh, you know, what we see in the West and rather than the East in the fall, you know, those Western medium and long distance vagrants end up turning 90 degrees. Well, I guess they turn mm-hmm. the other direction with these warblers, which is why they Southern California tends to get the, the bulk of them because it's relatively, you know, it's 90 degrees from where they're going and they end up in Southern right. California as opposed to Northern California. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just kind of circling back to the Limpkin. Yes. Um, Limpkin phenomenon. Hot Limpkin you know, summer. When it, when into it, hot Limpkin first, fall. <laughs> when it first started, um, you know, I was thinking about Limpkins kind of the way I think about wood storks and roseate spoonbills and swallow-tailed kites even and birds that are post-breeding wanderers um, that, you know, you look for in the fall uh, and late summer. But now I think, you know, Amy, what you said about colonizer. Yeah. Now it's, it's, it's feeling more like black-bellied whistling duck, neotropic cormorant mm-hmm. um, and birds like that, that are really, you know, cause it's great. Tail it, I mean, it's, now they, great tail they are, crackle. Yeah. <laughs> Now, the, um, the limpkins are obviously at least partially linked to the spread of the invasive apple snail. Yeah, but yeah. I know that, yeah. that they've been turning up in places where I believe that the apple snail is absent. And there have been some reports of, I think maybe in the Midwest, of the birds being seen feeding on apple snail. I'm not sure how accurate that is. And I know they will feed on you know whatever the native mollusks are. Mm-hmm. too yep. but the, so that's a factor like with limp that's specific to limpkin you know um but also also haven't there been kites out of range too the snail kite snail yeah. kites um more in recent years There's, i can only speak for where i live um but in north carolina we've had a couple records in the last decade uh whereas before the only record we had was a was a dead bird that was found uh, like 20 30 years ago so yeah snail kites are moving le- you know less than the limpkins um, but they are Definitely, moving as sure, well. But... They are moving as well, a little bit. Yeah. Now they go to they go to crawfish ponds. They like those crawfish ponds that are uh, you know here at least here in the southeast we have um, people that dredge out uh, ditches and they they raise crawfish essentially, and uh, that's what the snail kites like. Uh, you know, but it's, it's before we we spend the whole time here talking know, about we're talking about vagrants. We've got to jump well, the gun know, a little bit here. Is, yeah, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. That's okay because it is it is the it is one it of is the most fun season. aspects. Yeah. It's one yeah. of the most fun aspects of fall birding, and everybody's got their hopes up for something yeah. fun and cool. Yeah. Um, but but really, my favorite birding, and it, it just grows on me every year, and I look forward to it more and more and more. I mean, there are people who just cannot wait for the big push of spring warblers, you know, when the when the trees are full of basically gaudy little tropical fish, you know, mm-hmm. they're just gorgeous. And and fall warblers, you know, but for me it's about hawk watching. Hawk watching. Yes. Yeah, love, classic fall avocation. Yeah. Nice. I love hawk watches. Um I I do I do a hawk watch in my backyard. I'm mean, mm-hmm. here in, you know, urban Chicago. I've I've seen, I think. 14 different migrating raptors wow. from my backyard, you know, including golden eagle and Swainson's hawk. Um, and wow. yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, look up. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of birds up there in the sky. And- is there, is there a weather phenomenon that you look at that tells you the next few days are going to be great for migrating raptors? Absolutely. Um, and I know that it varies from location to location. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, 
uh, in the Chicago area, we want a strong west wind. Okay. Because that Pushes causes the, the lake, birds right? to yeah. pile up on the lake and they migrate down the lake and then mm-hmm. cross over to the west to follow the Mississippi. The one thing we know about raptors is they hate going over open water with a couple notable exceptions. But for the most part, they do not like to go over open water. They dislike yeah. it. And I would imagine the East Coast is kind of the same way. If you get a strong northwest wind, yeah, you know, over over places like Cape May, it can be just fun. And I'm just guessing. I've only been to, to a hawk watch at Cape May once, and it mm-hmm. was great. But the best bird was a whiskered tern. <laughs> I remember that. I remember That's that. a pretty good bird. That's a pretty it was good a bird. really good yeah, bird. Turned into a turn watch there, there briefly. Where I live in North Carolina, we have kind of two different raptor migrations to follow. So we have the, the big push that go down the Appalachians. So a lot of raptors use geographical landscapes to kind of orient themselves. And so when you, if you go to the western part of the state, um, there are a couple notable hawk watches in, in North Carolina and South Carolina where they, they get big numbers of broad-winged hawks. Broad-winged hawks, the big birds that are moving down the Appalachians into the Southern Appalachians, and they kind of cross over and then they go around the Gulf of Mexico because, again, do not like to cross water and then go down, go down all the way to South America via Central America. But if you go to the East Coast, if you go out to the Outer Banks in October, November, you get great movements of falcons. So you get good movements of peregrine falcon and merlin and kestrel and sharp-shinned hawks that like to kind of follow the coastline. Um, and part of that is because they're following migrating waterfowl and migrating shorebirds. Um, but they just like to kind of go down the coast. That's what they like to do. So um, you can get two different, two different flavors of your hawk watch here in the southeast, which is kind of fun. So interesting that they mm-hmm. each have their own little window yeah, of migration. It's true. It is the fun. hawks each... Yeah. Type of raptor, you know, each warbler, each shorebird. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, one of the one of the neatest things, and you know, for anybody who is um, traveling and and winds up in the Chicago area in the, the end of October or the you know the the fir- or November or almost any time in November now is when the sandhill cranes start moving. So that the sandhill mm-hmm. crane migration, if you look at the the eBird map of you know all time all years, blah 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 the map kind of like has this constriction like yeah. right over Chicago, especially West of Chicago, just a, just a, literally on the West side and, and down through Indiana and into Tennessee. And the, the migration path is really narrow over Northeastern Illinois. Mm-hmm. And when the cranes move, like when it's one of those, when we get the first hard frost or freeze in Wisconsin and that big blue sky, strong north wind day the cranes will move by the tens of thousands Mm -hmm. and you can see them almost anywhere in the chicago area but the big hawks follow them the golden eagles and and things like that follow them um the goshawks it's really it's really neat and and uh tundra swans as well yeah are there are there habitats you like to go to in the fall that you maybe don't you know, focuses much on in the, uh, in the spring for, cause for me where I live, when I'm wanting to find sparrows and migrating warblers, I don't go to like trees, like budding trees. Like I would in the spring, I go to those weedy patches where the seeds are coming out and maybe they're golden kind of overgrown. Rod. goldenrod. Oh my goodness. I've found so many warblers and big goldenrod patches, warblers that you wouldn't necessarily expect to see warblers that in the spring would be high up. 
But right. in the in the fall, they're actually pretty low. Things like black green warbler, black blue warbler. Well, black blue is relatively low warbler anyway. But yeah. you know, black burning, yeah, all that like stuff that. will yeah. come down low in the fall to take advantage of the buggy seedy stuff that you wouldn't see in the spring. So it's great to kind of look for those overgrown fields, uh, kind of second growth, sweet gum heavy stuff that the, the birds really flock to that. Yeah, I mean the places that we tend to look are. Uh, edges well for any edges, any place yeah. on the lakefront but any place that you've got like that weedy goldenrod mm-hmm. field with along the edge of a nice wood yeah uh woods or 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 um you know any kind of trees for them to escape to <laughs> if yeah. they need to those are really good but for urban birding where so many parks are manicured and and mm-hmm. over manicured yeah. You want to find those places where the mowers couldn't get and the guys yeah, that are right. The guys that are tasked with chopping all the stuff down just didn't get to. Yeah, and that's where the, to. Yeah, they don't that's where the birds that. are gonna be. Yeah, for sure. I feel like I'm beating the bushes in my favorite coastal migrant trap locations yeah. in the spring and the fall. Because yeah. it's good in the spring and the fall. Huh. <laughs> well, the winter too. The winter too. Summer can be a little rough because you also have a lot of <laughs> out-of-towners tourists and stuff it's busier but um a lot of migrants as all most of us know that they do follow the coast so Mm -hmm. um being right on a uh i want to say barrier island but island beach state park which is my favorite place to bird in the spring and fall is not an island anymore it was a long time ago but now it's i guess sort of a peninsula type of barrier situation the water the water does what it wants with those sorts of places (laughs) yeah Yeah, and the sand yeah uh there was a storm and apparently uh it attached we we see that out here too Um, (laughs) former barrier island to the mainland another thing to kind of think about too especially as we get later in the fall is like the sunlight like where the sunlight is hitting yes there are some locations you do not you know in the afternoon you don't want to be birding there because you can't see you're looking to the well, there's that too, but also sun. like in the morning, especially after a cold night, um, the first place that that sun hits is just going to be banging with birds. Like there's going right. to be a lot of stuff there. Yeah. And, and it's cause that, you know, that's the, the insects start getting active and then the birds start getting active. So if you have an opportunity to go through like what looks like really great habitat, but it's kind of shrouded and shady or just hanging in one place where the sun is hitting, like you, you want to go to the sun every time in the fall. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. the, the insects, you know, the insects are cold and they're they're lethargic and they're hiding. And as soon mm-hmm. as the sun hits, the insects pop up and the birds come out. Um, you know, another thing I think of in fall is spectacle. Yeah. Yes, that's just the word I had in mind yeah. when you think about the sandhill cranes yeah. and then you think about Hawks. morning flight. Yeah, S- snow geese I, and back to hawk watching. But there, there's just so many spectacles these big huge spectacles mm-hmm. of birds there's, you know, there's just more birds in the fall tens I mean, of like thousands all these, of bir- these all these adult birds are are you know they're with their young of the year and there's you know 50 to 75 percent more birds than there are yeah. in the spring and there's just more to see you know the other the other thing that i enjoy about fall birding is that it's protracted mm-hmm. and i realized we started t- you started talking about that um but in the spring the migrants are, they're on a schedule. They got stuff to do yep. and they're moving as fast as they possibly can. And in the fall, it's kind of like, well, da, 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 da. Well, and the weather's good. Of, we'll go. You know, if it's not, they're we'll just hang, hang out. Yeah. You know, you'll get a, 
you get a vagrant warbler in the in the spring that people see for a day or two or three. Yeah. In the fall, it's like ah, it'll hang around for a month. Yeah, you know, it's got well, nothing we better a, to we do. We had a Connecticut warbler down here uh, about a decade ago uh, in North Carolina, and um, I, I expected that bird to be gone, and it it stuck for two weeks, and a ton well, of people yeah. got to see it. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, from your lips to God's ears, because my phone is currently <laughs> blowing up as my friends have a uh, golden wing warbler. <laughs> oh yeah, hopefully it'll stick. <laughs> I hope it'll stick. Yeah. <laughs> ah, common migrant here. Oh really? Oh, well. that's kind of, you know, that's kind of a. We kind of talked about some like large scale migration events, but if you want to bring it down to like the more granular level here in Ocean County, um, that is a bird that tends to. I mean, the range is shifting too, but right. that's the bird that that tends to cross the Gulf and head in the you know more central part of the country. So that's actually a good bird on the. Yeah. Yeah. On the coast here in New Jersey, you know. Yeah. So I feel you. I feel you, Amy. And of I, course, declining too as they, well, and they're hybridizing with. Yeah, the, they kind yeah. of get beat out by well. blue wings and also chestnut sided warblers. At least where I they're live, they're not. They're not common, but it's you know if you if you put up any kind of an effort into seeing a golden winged warbler in in late August September, uh, you'll find them around here. <laughs> I mean, it's not that it's not that it's not that. Well, you get a lot of do. Connecticut warblers too. We get, yeah, we do. And in the spring, um, uh, it's, well, it's spring, kind of a, yeah. it's kind of a weird phenomenon, but in the spring, Chicago lakefront is one of the very best places to see a Connecticut warbler. Yeah. Speaking of, of cool phenomenons that are maybe local, uh, you know, maybe people can see, um, wherever they are. Um, one of the things that I like to look for whenever I'm, I'm birding in the fall are, um, the North side of a large body of water. And I don't mean like, uh, the ocean. I mean, like a reservoir or a lake or a like an arm that runs east west, so that there's a very clear north side and a south side. And given an option, I will always go to that north side and fall because you know, I'm just like just like raptors. You know, birds just don't generally like to cross large bodies of water because they're completely exposed when they do so. Um, raptors can just like pick them off, and in fact, that's a great place to find raptors too because they love to do that. But if you go to like the north side of an, an east west reservoir, an arm. The birds tend to kind of, kind of stack up on top of this. Like they'll kind of hopscotch south little by little during the day, feeding more than they will like take off and do long distances. But if you can kind of find that north side of a reservoir, they'll kind of pile up on it along the beach there. And you can not, a lot of times find find migratory birds. If you show up at, at dawn, are you noticing like, um, like a morning flight, like a northward morning flight in that a situation? Bit. Or? So our morning flights, at least where I live, are a little bit different than what you get like on the dike at, at Cape May or anywhere in New Jersey. We do have a situation where if you go to like the Appalachians and there are some gaps uh, in between two high mountains that the birds will kind of scoot towards. So you get there at dawn, uh, maybe the day or two after a cold front has gone through. And there's a ton of migratory birds. And so the sun comes up and they immediately realize that they're a little like their orientation is slightly off. And so they need to like reestablish where they're going. And so if you find some of these gaps and there's a couple of really nice ones along the Blue Ridge Parkway um, where you can get a ton of birds kind of shooting the gap and like reorienting themselves in the morning. And so you get like big movements of warblers and just migratory passerines and near passerines uh, and situations like that. And you can have really nice really nice mornings in September, late September, early October, uh, in some of those places. Yeah, we have, we have kind of the same sort of situation, although they're reorient, reorienting off of the ocean. Of the ocean, yeah. Or, or they'll come down, you know, New Jersey, South Jersey is shaped like a funnel. So yeah, that's exactly. why, in case 
um, you're not, anyone listening is not familiar with Cape May, you know, South Jersey's shaped like a funnel. The birds follow the coastline. They get to the Delaware Bay and they want to pause before they head across that or, or they come and they turn around. So then you'll have some northward movement first thing in the morning. And that's something that I see a little, you know, about an hour and a half north of Cape May where I live as well. When you, um, when I bird other sort of, uh, peninsulas or lands that land that's surrounded by water on three times I, i've seen this at island beach state park and um great bay boulevard which is also on kind of a peninsula mm-hmm. you know you see that that uh correction uh first thing in the morning and, and a pause so yeah so if any, there's any north carolina or just southeast birders listening um ridge junction overlook like about three days after a cold front is one of those places it's just off of mount mitchell uh which is one of the tallest mountains in the states the birds know like they orient from there and then they'll hit that gap and then they'll yeah on a good morning you can see a ton of birds there i don't want to give away too many of our secrets but that's that's one of our good ones <laughs> for North Carolina it, it's birders. interesting that there's a little bit of a parallel yeah in, in, in appalachia which is not yeah. something i would have expected hmm. yeah, you know and birding birding has traditions and yeah. um yeah you know i think of birding traditions i think of um you know spring is when you do your big day right um and then there's breeding bird surveys. You know, everybody's like all ramped up to do their BBS routes and working out the, yeah, man. the tweaks and everything. Oh, I know Nate. Nate lives <laughs> love for it. the BBS. I love it. Love my BBS. And my in the fall. My BBs. <laughs> at, at October, October is the big sit. Yeah. And I love, just like Hawk Watches, I love doing a big sit. I, I really enjoy being in a place and figuring out what's there rather. I'm, I've done a lot of big days, you know, where you, you scout the daylights out of it. And I've done big days every month of the year, you know, and you're blowing in, out of, in and out of places so fast. And mm-hmm. that's one type of birding, but I really enjoy just being in a place and seeing what's there, being there for a long period of time during the day. God bless you. I don't have the patience for that. <laughs> well, you know, that's sort of the quintessential difference between spring birding and fall birding, right? In spring, yeah. you go to the birds. In fall, the birds come to you. That's, and that's what yeah. makes it really nice. Hawk watches, big sits, sea watches. You're just sitting it's a morning, watch, morning flight. Watch. I was just going to talk about there that. there and you're waiting for the birds to come, come by you. It's a great time of year for the lazy birder. Sea watches and lake watches. <laughs> and I know out where you're at, um, especially Amy, you've got some great sea watches. You know, we do a couple of lake watches here on Lake Michigan. And we, in recent years, we discovered a phenomenon and that was traditionally, and I'm going back now to the seventies for me, long-tailed Jaeger was a bird that was just unknown. The records mm-hmm. were so few, um, and they were usually from the big rivers, never on Lake Michigan. Um, and then birders started looking for them in August, which nobody had ever thought to do before. And then you get the right wind in August and you can get multiple Jaegers on Lake Michigan, almost Hmm. all long tailed. Um, And it was discovered that all kinds of things start moving in August. And we've got now, you know, many August records in Indiana of long tailed Jaeger, but we've also got Sabin's gull. We've got black legged kittiwake. all kinds of things that you just wouldn't typically think of as like an October, November bird. Yeah. But they're moving in August. This, this weather situation, right? This spring in spring, the birds move against the weather frequently, because as you mentioned, Greg, they've got this, they've got a schedule. They've got to keep in the fall. It is all about 
weather. It is all about watching those cold fronts, predicting, you know, going to eBird and looking at the seasonal bar charts and finding the peak of those migrations of birds to the west of you and waiting for that west wind to come in right at that peak. And then you go out and look for that bird. I have a good friend here, uh, Andrew Thornton, um, who lives on the coast now, used to live where I live. He looked at the eBird bar chart for Franklin's Gull on their southbound, like the peak of their migration. And he looked at the weather map and it was like this really strong west wind was coming out, like right at the peak. And he's like, I'm going to go out and find a Franklin's Gull in my county. And lo and behold, like the next morning, it's like, it's like dialing it up like Uber Eats, Franklin's Gull. There it was, right? And he totally predicted it. And that's the sort of thing that you can do in the fall. Absolutely. Is, you can do more than just about any other time of the year. And, which is and, really here's, cool. and here's something else that happens in the fall is dragonfly migration. Yeah. And birds feeding on mag- migrating dragonflies way up in the air. And yeah. one of the things that, that um, hmm. Franklin's gulls, okay, so when you get like a really strong wind that, that birds, knocks birds out of the sky, kind of, you know, storm front or whatever, we'll get Franklin's gulls on the lakefront and some of the other bodies of water in the fall. But I have seen them, especially along the Mississippi River, up high in the sky, just migrating over in lazy circles and hawking dragonflies as they go. <laughs> I mean, everything's moving. You know, in the in the on the coast, I mean, there's fish migration too, and that drives a lot of seabird migration uh, as well. You know, West Coast is is classic. You know, fall migration is the time to go get those massive flocks of shearwaters uh, off the West Coast. Um, increasingly, people are aware of that off the East Coast as well. The huge concentrations of things like Cory shearwater in the North Atlantic, you know, hiding really cool birds like Cape Verde, like was just up in, in Massachusetts this year. Like everything's moving and everything's moving together. And it's the way that it all kind of stitches together has always been really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One of my other favorite things about fall um, is the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival. Ah, yeah. Where <laughs> where you can join the ABA. Yeah, it might be there this year. <laughs> you, you might be there this year. Yeah. Um, that's always a blast. Cape May has a fall festival as well. Cape May fall festival. And, we'll have ABA and we will, well. ABA will be at the Cape May festival as well yeah. with an announcement or two. I understand. We've been going more than half an hour of just talking about the, the just fall birding spectacles and all these things. Like, are there identification issues that fall birding immediately makes you think of? I mean, the first one for me is fall warblers. Obviously, yeah. a potential what, issue. I think Peterson I, called the confusing fall warblers. Yeah, uh, I'm going to push back on that hard because I think fall warblers are fairly easy. I tend to agree with you, When Greg, you have the experience, there are well, there are I, a handful of species, a couple species pairs that can cause problems. But there's for the most couple. part, fall warblers are. But sparrows, um, sparrows, you know, and flycatchers. Yeah, flycatchers are always tough. Are the two like that are just really tough. Yeah. Silent empids, sure. Yeah. yeah. But the identification for those things is, is you know, the novice birder can be helped along so much by going to eBird and looking at the abundance charts for the weeks. Because what a lot of people don't realize, I think, uh, when they first start birding, and, and Amy, you, you mentioned it early on, there are ebbs and flows to the different species. And so you can make life easier for yourself by going and, you know, kind of researching when these species are peaking and where these species are peaking. You know, black pole and bay-breasted warbler is one of the classic fall identification conundrums, but at least where I live, they are at different times of year in largely different places. And obviously it's fall, they can end up in where a bird can be wherever. But for the most part, 
if you're, you know, in the West or in the Appalachians and West, you're thinking bay breasted. If you're in the East Coast, hanging to the coast, you're thinking black pole. And so um, with that in mind, you know, it makes those sorts of things a lot easier. You could definitely get both on the same day here where I live. Well, yeah, that's right. Um, we're the Appalachians. But, and the but point, taken, point taken that um, being aware of the timing of these birds, because uh, most of them do have a, a pretty specific window, mm-hmm. you know, of when of when they're going to occur. So on hawk watches, yeah. on uh, and any of this fall birding, you want to be aware of the migration window of whatever your particular target species is. You know, because it's going to change over the course of the season. Yep. I mean, east east of the Rockies, east of the Rockies. Uh, I, yeah, I realize in the, in the Rockies and west of the Rockies, the dynamic is very different. Mm-hmm. East of yes. the Rockies, and again, so much east coast bias here for sure in this conversation. <laughs> well, migration uh, and central, bad. yeah. <laughs> I'll just Sorry say about I'll that, folks. <laughs> That's just the way it's going to roll today. Um, <laughs> but I mean, so much as, as you pointed out earlier, Nate is is so much is dictated by weather and Mm -hmm. you know if we get a nice in october and november you get a spell of nice weather and if you've had a push of birds come in they'll stick around they'll spread out um but then you get this you know you get a cold front come in and it dumps a whole bunch of birds on you and then you get another one and everything's gone yeah and everything moves and a whole other set of different things move in and Mm -hmm. you know i'm thinking right now Things like we're getting, we're seeing, I, I mentioned large numbers of Cape May warblers. We're seeing Blackpool and Bay-breasted and all the warblers that you would expect. And there's going to be a switch where there's going to be a big cold front that comes through. And suddenly it's going to be white-throated sparrows and brown creepers and golden crown kinglets. Yeah. And it's like just turning a page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a period, at least here, you know, not to make it all about where I live, but, you know, obviously we're talking about our own experiences here. But there's a there's a period in late September where one of the most common birds you'll encounter in the southern Appalachians is Tennessee warbler. Tennessee warblers everywhere, loads of them all over the place. And then two weeks later, like the Tennessee warblers are mostly gone. And the most abundant warbler you'll find in some of those places is bay breasted in the same places. Um, And then, you know, you got two weeks of bay breasted and then then all the, you know, sparrows and and colder weather birds start start moving in but yeah knowing those peaks knowing when and where to look for things um used to be the sort of thing that you just get with experience and and it still is but man you can go to ebird and get so much information there and and, you know learn when and where those those species are just like looking at the line graphs of of abundance charts and things like that of that nature and it's it's amazing how quickly you can become a, a a skilled birder these days using those tools Absolutely. And, you know, one thing we didn't touch on yet, um, well, we sort of did with water birds, is mm. ducks in the yeah. late fall. Winter, at least for us, starts December 1st. And in the late fall in November, uh, uh, ducks are coming into breeding plumage, unlike yeah. so many of the other birds that yeah, are pair bond in the winter. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so um, you've just got you've got big movements of ducks and um, you've got you know, things like if you're going to get some vagrants like we get here, like Harlequin duck and so on, um, you're going to get birds coming into breeding plumage. And uh, that's that's always a lot of fun. Are there any fall birding secrets that you've learned along the way as you have um, moved through your birding career? My big one was always look for the always look for the sunlight in, in the late in the late fall uh, to find that's birds. A good one. But uh, oh, and, you know, there's the classic for warblers in fall go where chickadees call. 
And that Absolutely. is a, a yeah. standard. <laughs> for, They're for the locals, so they words. know where the good food is. That's exactly <laughs> right. And all the all the naive young warblers will take in with the chickadee flocks. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, that's a, you know, trolling is a really good way to bird in the fall if you're in a, uh, a an area where you can drive really slow with the windows down on gravel mm-hmm. roads or in state yep. parks or things like that. Just cruise along really slow. And when you hear chickadees, pull over and put a bumper sticker on there. I break for chickadees. Yeah. And that's that's where you'll, you'll find, find it. You'll a find lot of stuff. stuff. Um, yep. Yeah, there was a there was a vagrant black throated gray warbler that hung around in a large forest reserve near here for a month and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and this bird was ranging all over the place. And the birders who were looking for it, everybody would just spread out, find the chickadees, get on their phones. <laughs> pay attention I got the to flock. The and then right. everybody would. Nice. Everybody yeah. would converge on the flock and just, oh, yep, there it is. We found it again. Yeah, that that is almost exactly like a black-throated gray warbler that was uh, here in North Carolina a couple of years ago yeah. on the coast. Yeah, the I, I, yeah I think we, we talk about the weather. I, I, I think pay attention to the weather to the north of you, mm-hmm. like like three to 600 miles north. And when you get, you know, when they get a hard freeze or some kind of a weather event to the north of you, um, you can anticipate what's going to happen. Um, you know, it might be, it might be beautiful where you're at, but it's snowing 400 miles north. That's going to move birds to you. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking, <laughs> if you haven't planned a few days in advance <laughs> to decide whether you know what kind of birding you should do or whether you should go out, how have we not mentioned Birdcast yet? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Point. Talk about I still resources do it the old that are amazing. Way. <laughs> yeah, I just have radar, radar scope, and do it the old-fashioned way. That's true. You can, but you can do that. Is an awesome Birdcast. tool. Yeah, they, they automate that for you in migration. They, they, I mean, they're essentially doing the things that we've talked about birders doing. They're taking into account the the weather maps and taking into account the eBird abundance charts for what birds are moving at that given point, and just basically spitting out. Uh, a forecast, a birdcast for what you need to do, and uh, boy, I like that's the live a, migration app. <laughs> it's incredible. I, it's it's amazing how much um how many resources are available now that weren't there when we started birding. Um, oh it's, boy, it's, it's it's easy to feel like oh man, I wish we had this. I didn't even have GPS. When <laughs> I know, started. right? It's a Delorme map. We had payphones when I started. <laughs> It's easy to feel like, oh, we missed out, but man, the phone like, tree, the rare uh, bird the phone, phone tree. tree. Oh, that's right. When, 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 you when didn't I, have a cell phone, a so you had to leave a message on their answering machine and hope they got hope exactly. They got it. Yeah. When I was a teenage birder, you know, I, I birded the lakefront parks in Chicago, and I knew where every single payphone was, and I had change <laughs> in my pocket so that's that right. if I found something, I could get to the nearest payphone and call either the phone tree or the RBA. Yeah. Yeah, and get that information out. Yeah, now it's it's it's. I mean, it's, in some ways, no, it's, it's can, easier. Can you send me the coordinates, please? Exactly. Put put a <laughs> exactly. Pin. And, uh, yeah. Here's a picture of it while I'm standing here looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's easier, but also you know I just love the fact that it's so much more accessible. And because of all that, yes. yeah, I mean, awesome. I think that's we're finding so many more birds. Like we're learning so much more. There's so many more vagrants out there. There's so many more. It, not that there's more vagrants. I think the vagrants are probably about the same. Uh, but people are finding more of them just because there's more people and more getting the there's word. There's just out. more people out there with cameras, and yeah. you yeah. know what's this? What's this bird has been one of the most amazing things that the ABA has done. Yeah. Um, in the sense of um, the things we've learned, you know, there's just so many people out there with cameras 
and we're finding, you know, there's 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 mega vagrants that that show up in what's this bird. Mm-hmm. But then there's the like uncommon birds that are turning up to be more yeah. either more abundant or more widespread. You know, one that comes to mind is yellow crown night heron. Yeah. And around this time of year, you know, when the, the post breeding wandering, you know, you think you look at the maps from earlier on and it's like, you know, yellow crown night heron up in Wisconsin and Minnesota. No. But now there's people out there taking pictures and going, what the heck is this thing? Yeah. Oh, look, it's a yellow crown night heron. Yeah, we're, we're starting to see those patterns that we talked about, you know, early on. Those patterns are just becoming more clear and new patterns that we're seeing. It's, 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 a, it's a fantastic time to be a birder and a fantastic season. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Greg Neese, Amy Davis. You can find their work on the ABA websites. In Greg's case, quite literally, it is the ABA website. Um, please check us out for What's This Bird Live. Um, when Greg and I go online, uh, you can find a uh, schedule for that on ABA social medias. And I hope hope you all both have a, a great fall season. Hope you see lots of birds. Back at you. You too. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, you can support it by supporting the ABA with your membership. There are many benefits, like our magazines, discuss to partners, opportunities to travel with us. I'm I'm in Panama right now. Or I'm heading there, depending on when you listen to it. You can get more information at aba.org slash join. I have some shout-outs to make this week to John Kiner of Greenbelt, Maryland, Andrew Miller of Swanton, Maryland, Kieran Schwartz of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Lucas Timmer. Sorry, man, for waiting so long, of Holland, Michigan, all of whom recently joined the ABA and noted the podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much. Welcome to the ABA. Executive director of the ABA and executive producer of the podcast is Nikki Belmonte, who sees Legends of the Fall and raises her favorite Brad Pitt film about his search for the more subtle members of the family, Otidity, of course, and Glorious Busters. Technical production is by John Lowry, who sums up his journey seeking the many birds of the genus Anthus as seven years in Pippet. Additional help comes from David Hartley and Greg Neese, who referred to the 11 species of tube noses they found on a recent pelagic as the Ocean's 11, and then Arctic Turn made it Ocean's 12. You can find us online at ABA.org on social media, most everywhere as American Birding Association, but on Twitter, we are at ABA. I'm reminded of my younger days when I started a secret and somewhat violent underground hawk watching group called Flight Club. I know I'm violating the first rule just talking about it, but I was undefeated at Budio identification using the pseudonym Tyler Burden. Questions, comments can come to podcast at aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thank you for listening. Stay healthy. Next week, you will be in the competent hands of one Frank Izaguirre. I'll see you when I get back from the tropics.